Good to try this one, or am I going with that one? One, two. It is in. Yeah, it's in. Oh, no. Ah, I've got the mute on. Let's try that now. My bad. Found the mute button. Sorry about that. Okay, I'm going to put that one down. Uh, wasn't that wonderful? Um, do you know, I, I sent Graham a text this week, and I, there was, I knew what I was going to be speaking about, and there was one song, and I said, oh, if you want to think about doing that song, that would fit. He, he's just done my whole talk in a worship set. <laughs> like, literally, the whole thing. Which means I can do it quickly, and... I just am excited about what the Lord wants to do. So we're just going to jump straight in. We are starting a brand new series today. Some people call this Sunday, as in in the church calendar, the Sunday after Easter, they call it Low Sunday. And they, um, in some of the traditional churches, and I think it's just because of the the highness of celebrating Easter. Um, It doesn't feel anything like anything low is happening here to me. I just loved that. I loved what we sang to start with, Let What's Dead Come to Life. Um, We are starting a brand new series, um, and it's called Renew. And if I'm honest, it will probably last for the rest of the year. Okay? Yes. Whoa, exactly. Um, We have been praying and planning about this series for at least a couple of months. It's based on a word that we feel that God, we strongly feel that God gave us about the church, um, about this year. Joe and I were quite casually just in a call with a bunch of pastors uh, earlier in the year, back in January, and we got into a breakout room um, with um, three or four other pastors, and we, it was just a moment to share and to pray for one another. We didn't even really particularly know the guys we were in the call with, um, but this one chap sort of said, I just have a word for you, and I feel like the Lord is saying that the word is renew, and, and we had already spent some time trying to sort of assess where we are, where we were personally and where the church was after the pandemic and and all of that. We've been talking to people, we've been trying to listen to people, try and understand where we are as a church. All of that's going on in the background and then this word comes in, uh, renew. And the more we prayed and planned and tried to look ahead and make plans for the rest of the year, the more um, this seemed to resonate. And as we just really tried to listen to the word of God, we felt like this was the word he gave us. And there are a whole number of aspects to that, and I'm not planning to unpack any of them today. We're gonna, Joe is going to talk about that next week, and then we're going to unpack that over the next few weeks. Today, ahead of all that, I want to look at a biblical picture which serves as an introduction and an overview for all of what I think God wants to do. And that's in the book of Ezekiel. And so if you have a Bible or you have your Bible on your phone, I'd love you to turn that up and open it and make sure that the words I put on here are the same as the ones in your Bible and I'm not just you know, spamming you or something. Um, uh, it's Ezekiel chapter 37. You see, last weekend we celebrated Easter, didn't we? Oh, hello. I want, sorry, I want that one, okay? Last weekend we celebrated Easter and we thought about Jesus' death on the cross on Good Friday and then on Sunday we celebrated his miraculous, world-changing resurrection from the dead and what a way to celebrate by baptizing three people in the river. Um, how many of you were here last week and down by the river? Wasn't that an awesome... Cool, not enough of you, to be honest. Either that or you... Um, so, did I say that? I'm sorry. Unfiltered. Um, uh, it was a fantastic morning and we heard... 
um, stories of transformation and what Jesus is doing in people's lives. And we saw a public declaration of faith. Um, and of course, baptism is a symbolic reenacting of the death and resurrection of Jesus. Death to the old life, brand new life in Jesus, a powerful visual symbol. And I loved it. And I loved it because God is in the business of renewal and resurrection and transformation and bringing things back to life. Let the, death, let the dead come to life. We've sung that at least once. Let what's dead come to life. We sang that in the first song this morning. You turn graves into gardens. And so this morning we're looking at this chapter, Ezekiel, uh, and the passage which talks about the valley of dry bones, which is in chapter 37. Just before we read it, a little bit of context uh, so that you just kind of get where this is coming from. The Old Testament spans the history of God's people over several thousand years. And it's fair to say that Israel's fortunes went up and down and up and down and up and down quite a lot over that time. They were rescued from slavery in Egypt only to wander the desert for 40 years before entering a new promised land and living at peace and establishing a temple in Jerusalem as a permanent place of worship, a dwelling place for the presence of God. And there was a period of stability under King David and then under King Solomon. And then, unfortunately and sadly not for the first time, as a nation, Israel screwed it up big time. That's a biblical word. You can use that. They turned their back on God, and that resulted in them being captured um, by uh, their neighboring pagan king, Nebuchadnezzar. And many of the citizens of Jerusalem were taken away to be exiled in Babylon. Um, Ezekiel, the guy who wrote this book, the prophet, he was part of the first group of Jewish exiles taken to Babylon. And his writings over the next 25 years would become a major part of the prophetic literature of the Old Testament. He is talking to Israel as a community in exile. Okay, These are people that he's talking to who have been taken away. Okay, they have, In fact, they have broken faith with their God. And for much of this book, Ezekiel accuses them of rebellion and of breaking covenant promises and of worshipping idols, all of which is pretty true. Um, and as a result, he describes how God's presence will literally leave the Jerusalem temple. Now, that in itself was just massive for the Israelites. I mean, the temple was the center of everything. And so there's a heavy symbolism in that image of God's presence leaving the temple. Um, and it feels like God is deserting them. And there's a lot of soul-searching, and there's a lot of significant judgment, and there's a lot of brutal honesty in the book and despite all of that, although God seems to have left Israel and consigned the Jewish temple, the, the Jerusalem temple, to destruction, crucially, according to Ezekiel, there is still some hope. Because although he's left the land, he hasn't left his people. God, has, God is with his people in exile in Babylon. That's Ezekiel's message. And he speaks of how God will raise up in the future a new shepherd king like David, a future Messiah. And how he promises that he will remove their hearts of stone and he will instead give them soft hearts of flesh, capable of loving and obeying their God again. How is that going to happen? We're not sure. It's a mystery. But, but it is hopeful. And it's in the context of that promised hope that this really powerful picture comes. And we're going to read it together. Ezekiel chapter 37. And it's probably one of the most vivid and descriptive scenes you will ever read in the Old Testament. And it's called the Valley of Dry Bones. The hand of the Lord was on me, Ezekiel says, and he brought me out by the Spirit of the Lord and set me in the middle of a valley. It was full of bones. He led me to and fro among them, and I saw a great many bones on the valley floor, bones that were very dry. 
And he asked me, son of man, can these bones live? And I said, sovereign Lord, you alone know. And then he said to me, prophesy to these bones and say to them, dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. This is what the sovereign Lord says to these bones. I will make breath enter you and you will come to life. I will attach tendons to you and make flesh come upon you and cover you with skin and I'll put breath in you and you will come to life. And then you will know that I am the Lord. So I prophesied as I was commanded. And as I was prophesying, there was a noise, a rattling sound, and bones came together, bone to bone. I looked and tendons and flesh appeared on them and skin covered them, but there was no breath in them. And then he said to me, prophesy to the breath, prophesy, son of man, and say to it, this is what the sovereign Lord says, come, breath from the four winds, and breathe into these slain, that they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded me, and breath entered them, and they came to life and stood up on their feet, a vast army. And then he said to me, son of man, these bones are the people of Israel. They say, our bones are dried up, and our hope is gone, and we are cut off. Therefore prophesy and say to them, this is what the sovereign Lord says. My people, I am going to open your graves and bring you up from them. I will bring you back to the land of Israel. Then you, my people, will know that I am the Lord when I open your graves and bring you up from them. I will put my spirit in you and you will live and I will settle in you and in your own land. Then you will know that I, the Lord, have spoken and I have done it, declares the Lord. It's a pretty powerful image, isn't it? You're all looking at me blankly. Yes, Nigel, it's a pretty powerful image. The vision from verses 1 to 10, the bones, the words, the breath, the life. I mean, I read this and I just think it reads like a horror film. I mean, I'm not really into horror films. I haven't watched many of this kind of thing. Actually, this kind of writing isn't unusual for Ezekiel. His writing is typically characterized by extravagant visions and great imagination, a lot of suspended reality. And although he writes about real people and real situations, he often uses very vivid symbols, such as a vine or a boiling pot, or in this case, a whole valley of dry bones. And Ezekiel also often warns about judgment and uses a lot of apocalyptic imagery. He's often thinking about the end of time and what's going to happen there. It's very vivid. It gives rise to all kinds of artwork, for example. Here's just one thing I found on the internet that was quite interesting. I'm, I'm not sure it's very accurate because I think the Bible passage said there was skin on them before they were up and happening. But um, it's, just, it's the sort of image that this... this this passage comes up in my mind. Here's another one. I think it's a bit more anime. Might be a bit dark for you to see that, actually. Um, I want to talk about three things to do with this passage. The first one is dry bones. The second one is the living word. And the third one is the breath of life. It says in verse 2, there were many bones and they were very dry. This, this place, this was a place of death. Now, I don't know if Ezekiel was drawing on his own actual experience or purely from his imagination. I don't know. But it's a pretty horrific image, isn't it? I mean, these, we, we, we may... I don't know if, I, I don't know if I, it's the right thing to say, but we're, we're probably even used to seeing images like this now because we see them often post-war, don't we? Horrific images where there are mass graves 
Um, this is a horrific image. You know, I don't know, five years before Ezekiel was started to write, the Babylonian army did conquer Israel in a battle, which would have left many people dead. So maybe this kind of image is real in his mind. I don't know. You know, there are all kinds of examples of mass graves that we know about, aren't there, in history. After World War II, for example, you know, the Allies were coming in and finding concentration camps. But that's not the only example. Often when you find something like this, a a scene like this, there's a story to tell, and it's always shocking and always sad. This, it's, the sense I get here is that whether it's real or imagined, this is a place of death. And that, God is saying, is a metaphor for the nation of Israel. Sort of like saying, you see this, that's you, that is. In verse 11, he says, God said to me, son of man, these bones are the people of Israel. They say our bones are dried up and our hope is gone and we are cut off. Now, exile was a massive catastrophe for Israel. It made them really question whether God had even finished with them forever, whether they'd just blown it, gone gone just too far. They were so far out of God's will for them. They were so far from relationship with him that even if they were an army one time, now they are long dead, decayed, and their bones are scattered with no sense of hope or life. That's pretty bleak. I'm not sure in human eyes that there is any way back from that. And yet, despite everything, God is saying, I haven't yet given up on them completely. His people have screwed up big time. They're in a situation of their own making. And he has allowed them to experience the consequences of their actions. But he doesn't give them what they ultimately deserve. He doesn't forget about them. He doesn't completely turn his back or walk away. He doesn't abandon them. Instead, he offers them an image of hope. And the journey of hope starts at the place of recognizing where they are and just how bad things have got. And there's no way that in their own strength they can ever come back from this. Only God could bring these bones back to life. Only God can bring his people back to life. So what do the bones mean to you? Where is, your, where is our valley of dry bones? What does this scene make me think of in my own life? Can you relate to this kind of desolateness, this kind of sense of despair or deadness? Are there parts of us that do feel cut off, finished, dead, dry, exiled? Maybe if we're honest, much of our life feels like that. I can relate to that feeling, at least in part. You know, at different times, both during and after the pandemic, I really struggled in myself to feel completely alive in my relationships, in my faith, in various aspects of my work, in the church. It's been a really tough season, right? I mean, it really has. How about you? How about how's your mental health? How's your emotional health? How alive do you feel? I was talking to a friend earlier this week. Um, She is a consultant anesthetist um, running a busy team across several hospitals in Birmingham. All of her team are exhausted. All of them are honestly virtually on their knees. The workload for them, as for many people in the NHS, and some of you can relate to this, has been relentless, relentless during the pandemic. Constantly behind. She said, we're just constantly behind, never quite catching up. Um, There's a lot of pressure. She said to me, everyone in the NHS needs a month on holiday. And of course, they can't close the hospital, so that's not going to happen. If you work in healthcare, or if you work in education, or if you work in another frontline service, 
social care, whatever, you know, there are lots of us who've been on the front line, and I, can under, I could absolutely understand if a few of us felt like we were in need of renewing right now, because it's just been the busiest, craziest season. Maybe you're feeling dry and disconnected because of your work. Or maybe it's to do with our relationships and our mental health. Some of us have never experienced an upheaval or a crisis like we did two years ago. We're dealing with loneliness and anxiety and stress and fear and loss and grief. And some of us have really struggled. Perhaps we're still struggling to rebuild those meaningful relationships. But what about our spiritual health? Some of us found church online really difficult to engage with. We struggled to engage. We got out of the habit maybe. Got out of the habit of praying, got out of the habit of going to life group, just got out of the habit of even coming to church regularly or jumping onto a serving team. Maybe we thought we had a pretty solid faith, and in lockdown, it showed us that our connection with Jesus perhaps just wasn't as strong or sustaining as we'd hoped it might be. Maybe we feel cut off from God like the Israelites did, exiled, disconnected, spiritually dry. So what is it for you? What do these bones mean for you, I was talking about this with my spiritual director, and she said, so what do these bones mean to you, Nigel? And I had a bit of a think, and I said, I think that my response is that the bones or the graves represent some of the dreams and the hopes that I had for, for this church, for us, some of our future plans and ideas that just weren't able to be fulfilled or haven't been able to be fulfilled, partly because of COVID, partly for other reasons, partly because of my own need to grow as a leader, Partly maybe because some of those dreams were my dreams, but not necessarily God's dreams. You know, for, what, for whatever reason, for me, as I think about this, the whole vision speaks about relinquishing control of my plans and letting go of the stuff that I think we should do and saying, okay, God, all that stuff's dead in, dead in, the, in the earth now. Will you, will you resurrect the things that you want to bring back to life? That's my prayer in this season. That's part of what I think God is wanting to do through this renewed season of our, of our, of our church's life. Um, so if that's what the bones represent, whatever they represent for you, how is it that they come back to life? Well, there are two other things that happen, I think, in this uh, passage. The second one is living words. You see, in the vision, Ezekiel's instruction from God was quite clear. What did he say? He said, Ezekiel, I want you to prophesy. I want you to prophesy to the bones. I want you to speak the word of God, the living word of God, over this valley of death. I'm, in my head, I've got this imaginary conversation going on between Ezekiel and God. I mean, I know that this was a vision, so I, I don't know how this works. But anyway, um, I, I'm imagining Ezekiel going, sorry, God, you, sorry, you want me to do what? And God says, I want you to prophesy to the bones. I want you to speak life to this valley of bones. And Ezekiel says, okay. Verse 4 says, prophesy to the bones. He said to me, prophesy to the bones and say to them, dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. This is what the sovereign Lord says to these bones. I will make breath enter you and you will come to life. I will attach tendons to you and make flesh come upon you and cover you with skin. There's details there, yeah? There's details that he's talking about. I'm going to put breath in you and you're going to come back to life and then you will know that I am the Lord. I've got a question for you. Who made the bones come back to life? Was it God or was it Ezekiel? Because the next verse says, verse 7, So I prophesied as I was commanded, 
And as I was prophesying, there was a noise, a rattling sound, and the bones came together bone to bone. And I looked, and tendons and flesh appeared on them, and skin covered them, but there was no breath in them. It seems to me that the resurrection begun, began with a word spoken by Ezekiel. The body started to come together. Yes, this was a partnership. Now, I'm not implying that Ezekiel made the bones live. The power came from God. But Ezekiel had a part to play. And that's really significant and really important because I think that when God is in the business of resurrection or recreation or renewal in people or communities or bones or bodies, there's usually a part for us to play as well. Of course, God's power is absolutely vital. I'm not taking anything away from that. I'm not trying to imply that we do the resurrecting. We really don't. But in this case, as in so many other cases, it seems to me that God chooses to work through his people and with his people, and it was a human action in this case that was the trigger for God to start to move. Are you with me? Okay. We, we have this phrase that we talk about around here a lot, and the phrase is, everyone gets to play. Everyone gets to play. God doesn't need us to, to move and do this stuff, but he chooses to work with us and to use us as his hands and feet. Um, I don't want to draw undue attention to you, Mel, but you showed a, shared a brilliant story last week when you got baptized. Um, it was, you talked about having a journey of some years and then some months in coming to church and um, feeling welcomed and accepted and just encountering God's presence. And then there was a moment about three or four weeks ago in church when Dave was preaching and he preached the gospel and then Jenny came up and spoke to you some particular words of invitation and that was your moment to give your life to Jesus. And I was just really blown away because God could have done that anytime, but he chose to use people to instigate the process, to get something started. And I think that's really beautiful. So Ezekiel's specific task was to prophesy, to speak the word of the Lord. Now, the word of God is a really powerful thing. Hebrews 4 says the word of God is alive and active. It's sharper than a double-edged sword. It penetrates even to the dividing soul and spirit, to joints and marrow. He's talking about the word of God separating joints and marrow. In this case, the word of God was putting joints and marrow back together again, it seems to me. But it's a powerful thing. God's word has the power to create and to recreate. We hear about that in Genesis when God speaks the world into being. We read accounts of Jesus speaking words of life and recreation and healing and authority to people. And they, they experience life-changing miracles and bodies that were broken come back to life. I don't think Ezekiel's power made, physically made the bones come back together. God did that, but Ezekiel's words played a vital role. He spoke it into being. He commanded it to happen. He used the authority God had given him, and his words made all the difference. Now, prophesying or speaking the word of God is one of the most powerful things that we can do in any situation. We call it prophecy. That's a biblical word. Sometimes it puts people off because it has slightly old-fashioned spooky connotations and you know we think there's people on the stage who can read our minds and tell the future but that's not what really what the bible says at all um this is a gift of the holy spirit available to all of us every single one of us in 1 corinthians 14 paul says i wish that you would all prophesy 
I want you all to prophesy. He's instructing the believers. Hearing the voice of God for a particular situation and then speaking the life, the life-giving words, that's something that God wants all of us to do in every situation, every day. These gifts, by the way, aren't designed for church. They're not designed for a Christian conference. They're designed for the world around us. Who, by the, who tomorrow morning is going to speak the words of life to your colleagues in your office or your workplace? Who is that going to be? It's not going to be me, because I don't work there. You do. I mean, I could come in, but that would be weird. Um, <laughs> you know? Um, these, design, these gifts are designed for everybody around us. This is your community, your family. There's a powerful gift, and God is giving it to all of us, and it's to speak words of life. And our words of life can begin the process of resurrection. Our words of life can trigger a journey of transformation. If we know what God wants, we can speak things into life. What an incredible opportunity. I have another friend. He's a GP. He's a lead, leads and manages many GPs. And he makes these visits to all these different surgeries where he says, hello, I'm the big boss. And, um, and, and, and I said, what do you do there? It must be a bit weird. He said, to be honest, I just tell them that they're doing an amazing job. And yes, it's really hard. And keep going. And he said, then you'd be amazed how many people as lives are changed just by me showing up and saying, well done. We really appreciate what you're doing. You're doing brilliantly. Keep going. For me, that's words of life. That's making a difference in people's lives. That's bringing resurrection and hope where there isn't any. Speaking God's words of life over people is one of the most important things that we can do. And it's quite simple. All we need to do is we need to know what God's saying, and then we need to speak it. Now, that is a big subject. How do we do that? We're going to come back to it in a few weeks' time in detail. But for now, very quick potted version. Turn off the distractions. Take time to intentionally tune in and listen to God and practice hearing what he says, and then do it. That's the potted version. We'll do the details in a few weeks, okay? And don't be afraid to make mistakes either. I mean, how, how loving and caring could it be if you show up and say, hey, um, I'm just practicing listening to God, and I might be wrong, but I just had this sense that you were feeling this, and I just wanted to say this to encourage you. How? I mean, who's going to take offense at that? Not many people. Speaking words of life over ourselves is also equally important. Some of us have had words spoken over us, which we know are from God, and yet for whatever reason they've sort of faded out or we've forgotten them or they've gone away. And if that's you, I want to encourage you. I want to challenge you, actually, to remind yourself of the things that God has said and speak those words of life back over ourselves again. There is incredible power in speaking, physically verbalizing, what God is saying to us. It begins a process of transformation. So what words has God spoken over you that haven't yet come to fruition? Today is a day to remember that. Now I've talked about the dry bones and I've talked about the words of life. And the last bit I want to talk about is the breath of life. Because in verse 9 it says, Ezekiel says, Then he said to me, prophesy to the breath. Prophesy, son of man, and say, this is what the sovereign Lord says, come breath from the four winds and breathe into these slain, that they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded me, and breath entered them. And they came to life, and they stood up on their feet, a vast army. And of course, the word for breath there is ruach, which means wind. 
And it's the same word that the New Testament uses for spirit. It was the breath of God. It was the spirit of God that made all the difference. Can you see how this story mirrors the original creation story? Back in Genesis 2, it says the Lord God formed man from the dust of the ground and then he breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and the man became a living being. It's a beautiful like, mirroring of the, of the story. You see, when God breathed life into these bodies, that's when they become a living, breathing army again. It actually says they become an exceedingly great army. Now, historically, God did do this. He did bring his people back from exile. This prophecy came true. He didn't abandon them. He did send a messianic shepherd king in the line of David, his son Jesus, who then enacted the kingdom of God and demonstrated God's power through miracles uh, of healing and recreation and even of resurrection. And then, of course, his own physical resurrection from the grave. Fast forward to the time just after Easter where we are now, Low Sunday, where we came in. And the disciples are sitting in a room. Jesus has been and gone and come back and gone again. And the disciples are feeling somewhat lost, a little bit fearful, maybe a bit bewildered, wondering what's happened next. Jesus died and ascended and all that. And it was a pretty intense time. And, how, and they're trying to make sense of everything they've just experienced. And they're doing what he instructed to do, which is waiting until the day when the breath of God arrived again. And this time powerfully. And I'm talking about Acts 2, the day of Pentecost. And it says they were all together in one place and a sound like a blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. And they saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. And all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak together in tongues, speak to one another in tongues as, as they were enabled. You see, ultimately, it's the Spirit who brings life. You know, after those people were baptized last week, we stopped right there in the river and we prayed that God's Holy Spirit would come. When we gather as a church, we pray every week. We invite the Holy Spirit to come. Pentecost is coming. We will be praying for the Holy Spirit to come. We're spending most of the month of May thinking about and examining and looking again at the Holy Spirit and his work and reminding ourselves what the Bible has to say about that. Maybe you come from a background or a church background where it hasn't really reflected much of the work of the Holy Spirit. Maybe this is a little bit strange or spooky or weird to you. For centuries, the church didn't really talk about the Holy Spirit or celebrate his work, or look to him. But in the last century, the church has completely rediscovered this. And so now we pray, come Holy Spirit. We do it when we get together. We've sung it this morning, Spirit, breathe upon this altar. We've sung, set a fire in my heart. It's almost like we were singing Pentecost. Even if this Holy Spirit is part of your formation, it can still be easy with circumstances in life to just forget or just to lose sight of the life-changing breath and work of the Holy Spirit. So easy to lose sight of it. But this is a vital part of all that God wants to do. And to be honest, we don't even have to wait till Pentecost to invite him. We're going to do it this morning. We're doing it right now. The Spirit makes all the difference. I just want to read a quote to you to finish. It's from a book that I found on my shelf that somebody gave me. It's a very old book. It's called The Great Texts of the Bible, edited by J. Hastings. I looked him up. It's the Reverend James Hastings. This was written in 20, no, 1915. This was written over 100 years ago. And he's commenting on this passage. Um, and it says this. In the church that bears the name of Christ, we may have everything 
but the essential thing. We may have order and decency and reverence and the appearance of fraternity, that's an old word, bone may come to bone and there may be the sinews and even the flesh and skin, and yet there may be no pervading breath, no mysterious and unifying life. We may have a congregation, but not a communion. We may have an assembly, but not an army. We may be just a crowd and not the family of the living God. We may have prayers, but no, sorry, prayers, but no prayer. We may have petitions, but no real intercession. We may have posture and homage, homage, but no supplication. We may have exquisite ritual, but no holy worship. We may have benevolences, but no sacrifice. The church may only be an organized corpse. That's brutal. But when the breath comes, how then? The breath of God converts an organization into an organism. It transforms a combination into a fellowship, a congregation into a church, a mob into an army. That breath came into a little disciple band weakened by timidity and fear, and it changed it into a spiritual army that could not be checked or hindered by the world, the flesh, and the devil. And when the breath, the same breath of God, comes into a man of parts, a man of many faculties and talents, sharpened by culture, drilled and organized by discipline, it endows him with the very veritable power of an army and makes him irresistible. There you are. Any single fellas out there looking to be irresistible, invite the Holy Spirit to come, and uh, that should do the trick. If you're in need of resurrection life or in need of renewing in any part of, what, of our lives, the Holy Spirit is here and wants to breathe life into us. He is in the business of renewing his people, renewing his church, renewing his world. So which parts of us need resurrection today? Why don't we stand together? And Joe, why don't you join me 